Well, tonight, I just want to prepare our hearts for receiving the Lord's table. Sometimes we do it after a normal sermon. Sometimes we do it instead of a sermon. This is a meditation that I want to refocus my own heart to see the glory of God, the glory of God in in the cup and in the bread in a way that causes us to do what is intended by the Lord for us to do at this table, which is to examine ourselves. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. This is where Paul is summarizing the instruction that he received from Jesus on how to celebrate the table of the Lord. You'll know that Jesus took the remembrance of the Passover where God spared uh, the firstborn in Israel and um, uh, slew those in Egypt. And that became an annual commemoration that was to celebrate God's deliverance. And Jesus said that was not nearly the deliverance that he was about to provide on the cross. So from the time of the Last Supper onward, instead of celebrating the Passover, he instituted the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, as we call it. Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said, if we come not preparedly, we do not drink but rather spill Christ's blood. Self-examination is, is a tricky thing. God calls us to examine ourselves, and yet he doesn't call us to condemn ourselves. Every person will either be judged on the cross with Jesus' death or in hell suffering their own Christless eternity. When we examine ourselves, then we come to, to see where we are, kind of as a touch point. It's a, it's, a, it's a retreat, a private retreat that we come to when we celebrate the Lord's table. We push the things of the world away. We examine our heart. We look at ourselves and we see, I think, how are we doing? You've heard me say often, draw a circle around yourself. Kind of put yourself in the spiritual room in which only you and the Lord are, are sitting and having an honest conversation with, with how you're doing, how you're growing. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we growing? Looking at sins of omission and commission. You know the difference, right? Omission, things we're o- omitting to do. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't evangelize enough. I don't pray enough, on and on and on. Things that we should do that we don't do and failures in that category. The other side are things that God has told us um, not to do that we do do. Um, don't lie and we fudge the truth, don't cheat and we take advantage of things at work, Uh, on and on and on and those things that we we do with our eyes, with our hearts. You have to be careful though when you examine yourself. This examination at the table is intended for us to see the areas of sanctification in which we need to grow, not to condemn ourselves and put ourselves in the state of, I shouldn't be saved, which you're right, none of us should be. I can't be saved, which you're right, without God's grace, we wouldn't be. Or I'm in trouble again with God. This is a table for reflection and repentance, not a time of observation and self-condemnation. Some passages with which you're familiar, let me just tell them to you while you're, you sit there in 1 Corinthians for a moment. Psalm 26, 2, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and test my heart. Are you, are you willing and ready to do that often? In just a few moments, are you willing to ask the Lord, examine me, try me, test my mind, test my heart? 
Jeremiah 12, 3. But you know me, O Lord. You see me. You examine my heart's attitude toward you. Drag them off like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for a day of carnage. In other words, take my wicked, sinful desires. Do away with them. Examine me and find in me a reflection of you. Lamentations 3.40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 3 and 4, you are still fleshly for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am a Paul and I am a Paul, are you not mere men? In other words, we, we create factions and we, we look at ourselves as carnal and fleshly instead of the spiritually redeemed people of God that God has Purchase with his own blood. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? So this is a time when we come to say, do I see the image of Christ being formed within me? Do I see evidences of God's grace? Not in perfection, but in progression and progress. Psalm 423, Proverbs 423, rather. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And the heart there is the mission control central of your life. It's your thinking process. It's what we do with our time, our recreation, our entertainment. Are we watching over our heart and guarding it like a fortress? And then Psalm 139, which is an interesting psalm. It begins by saying, you have searched me and known me, right? And it ends with search me, O God, and know my heart. Which is interesting, David would say, you've already done what I'm going to ask you to do, which is to search me, try me, show me, this is a dangerous thought and a very dangerous prayer, show me what you see when you see me. He does see Christ, he does see redemption, he does see uh, the blood of his son covering our sin, but he also sees areas in which you and I need to grow. Now this is not a visible service that we render to our soul. It's a mental process. It's something that happens internally. I know I ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 11, but would you sneak a peek over in 2 Corinthians chapter four? We've looked at this recently. Paul's talking about his ministry in 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Since, therefore, we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We're not condemned. But listen, verse 2. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Now, just park your mind on that for a moment. Why do you hide things? Why do I hide things? Why do we hide things in our life that are sinful? Because they're They're shameful. We would be ashamed if people saw everything we did and knew everything we thought, right? Paul identifies that and says in his own life, Paul had things and thought processes and internal workings of his heart that were shameful. Now that's encouraging to me that Paul didn't have it all wired, but I love what he says. We have renounced, put away with things that are hidden that we would have to hide because of shame. We're not walking in craftiness, adultering the word of God, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves 
to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What a thought. His accountability was such that he was willing to take his internal thought processes, his external manifestations of his character, and submit those to the conscience of those he knew. He wouldn't be able to do that had he not renounced the things hidden because of of shame. That's self-evaluation. You don't get to that point of renouncing things hidden because of shame unless you've Unless you've seen them, right? Unless you've examined yourself and found them. This is a mental exercise. This thing, these things that we hide because of shame. It's, it's what happens in our minds, wrestling with our honesty, integrity, morality, thoughts, our conscience. And biblical Christianity, or true religion as the Puritans called it, first happens in the invisible arena of our thoughts. What we do is simply the outward expression of those thoughts. Therefore, I think Paul says, come to the table and examine yourself. Do the radical call to the duty of regular self-examination and self-knowledge. If we understand anything of Christianity, we understand that it's not just based on externals. Our scripture this morning, Jesus was dealing with the Scribes and the Pharisees and the, the, the lawyers, the experts in the law, the theologians in that day. And what was his message to them? Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Why? Because they cleaned the outside of the cup. They looked great on the outside, but inside they were corrupt. In Christianity, spiritual work is typically unseen work. Self-examination happens first in the heart. Now, certainly we're examining one another and, and helping one another to grow in areas that we see and asking one another questions that, of sins that we might commit with our tongue or our reason or our relationships. But it first happens by ourselves with the Lord in the private recesses of our hearts. It's impossible to overstate the importance of self-inquiry, self-knowledge, self-examination. We, we talk about this all the time. Do you know what your top weaknesses are? Do you, know what, do you know what, John Owen, do you know what associates in your heart Satan has? Because I can promise you the enemy of our souls knows exactly our weaknesses. He plants specific traps, draws specific uh, uh, Pits, puts places where we'll stumble in areas where he knows we're temptable. I'm always amazed when we look at angelology and demonology that there's no indication that angels or demons, certainly not the Lord or the devil, ever sleep. And they don't die. So they have millennia of years of experience knowing how to specifically target unexamined lives unready hearts. Listen, friends, tomorrow, probably tonight, but tomorrow, I promise you, we will enter a world in which the enemy of our souls has carefully devised tricks and traps to draw our hearts away from where they should be and our actions away from where they should be. 
Well, God knows that, and Jesus anticipated that. And so when he set up this table, and Paul gave the instruction about this, this commemoration, this memorial that we do called communion of the Lord's table, he said, as often as you do this, remember me and examine yourself. Stop and do the self-examination work. Renounce the things hidden because of shame. Well, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says in verse 23, this is, we read this all the time, but let's just take a minute to look at it. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. I always find it interesting. He could have said the night before his crucifixion. He could have said the night of the last supper. He could have described that night, the last Passover in a lot of ways. He says in the night he was betrayed. I think there's something there that says betrayal of the Lord is a pandemic problem. Judas betrayed the Lord then. You and I betray the Lord every time we sin. But those who are found in Christ have a covering and have forgiveness. But the act of self-examination is really looking at our betraying hearts. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's obviously not talking about a physical body as the Catholic Church says where you re-crucify Christ because the bread becomes the body of Christ is re-crucified by the breaking of it. That's not what he's talking about. This is not transubstantiation or even consubstantiation. That's for another study. This is simply a memorial. It's simply a symbol in the same way that the Passover loaf and the Passover meal was in the night he instituted the Lord's table. In the same way, verse 25, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup. This cup is the gospel, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. Let's stop right there. What I want to do is provide for you four considerations for preparing for the Lord's table. Four considerations for preparing for the Lord's table. And they go back and forth, examined and unexamined. The first is this, an unexamined life is offensive tonight here at the table. An unexamined life is offensive at the table. He says so here in verse 27. If we eat the bread or drink the cup in an, of the Lord in an unworthy manner, we'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to do that in an unworthy manner? Well, J.C. Ryle says the greatest worthiness we can ever bring to the Lord's table is our own sense of unworthiness. And I think he's right. What's Paul talking about here? Well, look at the last part of the verse. Guilty of the body and blood of the Christ means we have violated the payment for our sins, meaning that we're not repentant or even doubting the efficacious, the, the propitious, the, the effective nature of his, his death on our behalf. We'll see in a minute in verse 28 that we have to examine ourselves. So an unworthy 
approach to this table is an unexamined life. It means to do it flippantly. It means to do it carelessly. It means to do it in rote. It means to, to do it without thought or forethought. Uh, we have a habit in our family over the years when we know that the Lord's table is coming, there is a flurry of confessions that happens before the service. And I want to tell you, I'm a little bit selfish in doing that. I'm terrified. I don't want to come here with unconfessed sin. I don't want to eat or drink in an unworthy manner and be guilty of the crucifixion of Christ because I have treated it with disrespect, lack of thoughtfulness. An unexamined life is offensive. Secondly, we find out why. An examined life is necessary at the table. An examined life is necessary at the table. But, verse 28, a man must examine himself, and in doing so, then he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So what does it mean to examine ourselves? And we have to be careful here, as I said earlier. If we're examining ourselves to see how perfect we have become, we're never gonna pass the test. If we're examining ourselves to see if we're sinless, then we must be in heaven. It's never gonna happen. But we examine ourselves to just see how we're doing. I've told you over and over, I use this table every couple of weeks and then when we do it on the uh, quarterly on Sunday morning uh, sometimes it happens week after week I use these as benchmarks in my own life and we'll, we'll sing in a minute and we'll, we'll confess and we'll pray and I always see am I confessing and asking grace and mercy for the same things that I did last time and often I am but do you see growth sometimes I do Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel like I've taken steps backwards. Bitter thoughts. Relationships that are not where they need to be. Um, lustful thoughts. Gluttonous actions. Disregard. Sins of omission where we, we know. We, we had time to read our Bibles more this afternoon, didn't we? And we didn't. We had time to pray for and with people today, but... We didn't do as well as we could. We could go on and on and on. We can easily find failure. But this is a time when we're examining ourselves. To, do, do we see growth? Can you look back two weeks ago when we did this and, and see, I am confessing that again, but I, I'm more equipped. I'm more sensitive. I'm more, I'm more aware. I'm more attuned to renouncing the things in my heart that are hidden because I'm ashamed of them. An examined life is necessary when we come to this table. Number three, back to the unexamined life. An unexamined life is dangerous at the table. It's dangerous at the table. Verse 29, he gets very specific. For one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number are dead he uses the euphemism, a number, sleep. So, verse 29, 
If we do this in an unexamined way, we're, we're actually inviting God's judgment on ourselves. And let me just tell you for this time and for every other time, if there are relationships that need to be resolved, conversations that need to be had, if there are sins that need to be repented of, if we are harboring sin in a refusing manner to renounce it, please, I would beg you, let the cup and the bread just pass by in a minute. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It matters what the Lord thinks. And it matters what the Lord sees. And he says there are consequences for taking the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. I mean, look at verse 30. Weakness, sickness, and death. Now, you can tie that into the sin unto death that, that John talks about. And maybe that's the same thing. Maybe the sin unto death where you just sin and the Lord says, you know, that's, you're taking my table in an unworthy manner and you just need to come home because we're mocking it. How can we celebrate Christ's death for our sin while still willing and committed to enjoying it? It's dangerous to come to the table with an unexamined life. And number four, back to the examined life. An examined life is freedom at the table. This is so encouraging. You don't have to go fix everything before we take the Lord's elements in a minute. You don't don't have time to go fix your life for the next five minutes. You just don't have that time. Nor do you have the willingness or means but we can have the freedom and power of forgiveness. Verse 31, if we judged ourselves rightly, that's the goal, that's why we're here tonight, that's our aim, judging ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. We understand by seeing what God sees about us that we're willing to do what God expects of us. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. That's actually an interesting verse. It says, God, God sometimes will say, I just need you to come home because you're not doing you or me any more good on the earth. I think some believers have passed into eternity because of this negligence at the table. Now, I... I grew up in a church that celebrated the Lord's uh, Supper. We were doing it, I think, quarterly, and then uh, we began to do it every month. And it was a, uh, a very quick pass it, drink it, eat it, and, and done. I never, ever remember growing up where any degree of levity or gravitas was, was put on my own heart when we came to the Lord's table. I've been convicted and really moved um, since becoming a pastor, especially as a senior pastor here at Mission Road, that this is a stewardship we should take really seriously. It should be something we look forward to because we get to examine ourselves and repent and also back up to what we, we just assume because we talk about it so often. We need to remember him. As often as you do this, he says, do it to remember me. We remember him, and over and over we'd say this, he wouldn't tell us to remember him unless he knew that we would, what? Forget. 
And we all do. So this is a recalibration moment. And I want you to take the time to recalibrate tonight. You, in a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And if you're a godly man or a godly woman, you are going to find junk and sin and messes in your life. That's because you're a godly man or woman and you see what God sees. But when you see that, you also have the ability to say, thank you, God, for forgiving me in Christ that he was condemned and took the punishment for what I see that I know you see. So there's a balancing act in our heart. It's, it's oh, oh my, I, I, I see this again and we're grieved and it's, oh wow, I see his forgiveness again and we're encouraged. But that should have a purifying effect in our lives. To remember him and to see ourselves. We see two distinct realities, the heinousness of our sin and the amazing fact that God has given us Christ's righteousness by faith. When you see your sin, and then you understand that though God in his omniscience sees that and wants to sanctify us, but he also views us with Christ's righteousness over our sin, is that not amazing? Is that not unbelievable that he forgives what we've done? And he gives us another chance again. And he will next week. And in two weeks when we have this table again. The good news is we don't have to wait till the Lord's table to remember him and to examine ourselves. But this is the time officially as a church that we do this. And we do it together for accountability. So I'm going to invite Chris up. He's going to lead us in a couple of songs we're going to sing. But before we even get to passing the elements, I want to give you just a few minutes. Chris is just going to play softly. To do that, to examine yourselves, you're going to find things that you're not pleased with. But to submit those to the gracious, loving forgiveness of a dying Savior and to take a few moments to rejoice and thank Him for that forgiveness.